Well, what's up? Welcome to SALT. Uh, my name is David, one of the guys on staff here at Doxa Church. I get to preach the Bible here on Thursday nights sometimes. Um, we're doing a new series tonight. Uh, exciting, all right? We just finished the series on parables. We've been looking at these kind of stories of Jesus explaining life in the kingdom to us. And now we're doing a series on prayer. And there's a ton of different ways we could do a series on prayer, but what we're going to do is we're actually just going to look at the Lord's Prayer. It's, it's actually up there, right? It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's like an old school, like King James version, right? Like my Bible says, like, holy be your name. This is like the, the one that you maybe know if you grew up in the church, you might have said this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. It's an interesting way to talk about sin, right? Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's the Lord's Prayer, and it's how Jesus teaches those who follow him how to pray. And prayer is really interesting. Um, I don't know if you think about prayer that much. I don't know if you pray or if you try to pray. But my son Silas and I, we pray together before bed. And I started doing this actually the night that he was born. And now that he's old enough to kind of understand the words, we, we pray together. And he like sometimes, he like prayed a couple times. But normally he's like, no dad, like you pray. Um, and so I am normally the one who does the talking, but it's kind of a funny thing because Silas has kind of learned, like, and I didn't even know if, like, I taught him this or if Steffi taught him this, but so I'm like, all right, buddy, you want to pray? And he's like, yeah, let's pray. And, and so he, like, he holds his hands, like, super tight together, and then he, like, closes his eyes, like, tight. Like, he closes his eyes way too tight. Like, it looks like he's in pain. He's, like, trying so hard to close his eyes. And, and it's really funny because he's, like, closing them, and then he'll, like, open one eye and like look at me like am I can I look at you am I supposed to do that I think it's like one small way of not doing what he's supposed to which he's two he does that a lot but anyway you actually don't have to close your eyes when you pray anyway but my my three-year-old thinks that uh he does so we pray over our our worries and we pray over our fears we pray for our friends we pray for our neighbors and we pray over some things that happened that day, and it's usually like very short, right? Like he's almost three years old, he's two, and he's like very short attention span, right? And he gets bored really fast. So we try to make it just a short thing, but we've kind of tried to make this like a normal part of our routine in our house. It's just what we do. We, we pray. And so it's kind of like normal to him at this point in his life. Uh, but prayer is kind of crazy, Right? It's one of the most profound things imaginable to speak to God. It's like to touch the infinite, right? To try to like peer into and look into what can't be seen. And almost every single spiritual group has prayer. It's like one of kind of the practices that anchors almost every religious or spiritual community. And, and prayer is this kind of like, just broadly speaking, like in the world, right? People kind of know what prayer is, even if it's different kinds of ways of doing it. It's this attempt to connect ourselves to something that lies beyond our physical world. Right, and when some people think about of God, they think of some kind of like force or power or like other religions. They talk about like a, a person or a being or like multiple different kind of divinities. And, but, and there's a bunch of different ideas of like what this force, this something out there is. There's a ton of different ideas of that. But what everyone agrees is that prayer is an attempt 
to connect ourselves to something that is beyond us. And it means it's not just like talking to our roommate, right? It's, it's, it, because we're approaching something that exists in like a different category to us, right? It's, it's something that is more pure than we are, something that is more powerful than we are, someone that is not like us. And what's interesting is everyone prays. Like, I would, I would make this claim. I would just say, I think that everyone actually prays. Now, they might have, not have a habit of it, but everyone prays at some level. This is like something that we instinctively like know how to do. There's this inclination inside of us that knows there's something bigger than us out there. There's something more powerful than us that is out there. And we might try to like suppress this feeling, but it tends to come out of us when we feel most vulnerable or helpless, Right? There's like a saying like in the military that's like there's, there's no atheists in foxholes, right? It's like when your life feels in danger or you're like at this place where you're like fearful for your life and you have no control over the situation, all of a sudden like even if you don't believe in God, you feel yourself like crying out to heaven for some kind of help beyond yourself or the people around you. Everyone prays to some degree. It's like hardwired into us. And Jesus prayed. And Jesus actually prayed a lot. Like Jesus prayed all the time. It was actually one of the most defining things about his life. And so Jesus is always doing this. I don't know if you've read much of the New Testament or much of the Gospels, but Jesus is always like, he's praying with his followers, but he's also like leaving like he's hanging out with a bunch of people and he's just like, all right, I gotta go. <laughs> he like leaves to go pray. And the disciples, like they know that this is one of the things about him that is the most different about him than them. And so there's one time when he's coming back from praying. This is actually in Luke 11. We're gonna go to Matthew 6. So you go to Matthew 6 in your Bible. This is where the Lord's Prayer is. But there's this one moment in Luke 11. It's the other place where Jesus kind of gives this the Lord's Prayer. It's the other place we see it in the Bible. And the disciples finally corner Jesus. And they're like, okay, man, like, listen, Jesus. And they ask this question. Can you teach us to pray? Can you teach us to pray? And the disciples, like, you have to think about who they are, right? Because the disciples, they all grew up Jewish. And this is like a really interesting thing for them to ask Jesus to do because they've been praying to God their whole life. Like they grew up like memorizing the Psalms. They would sing these things as Psalms. They'd grown up praying their whole lives. But they spent a few months with Jesus and they saw his prayer life and they began to conclude that actually they don't know how to pray like at all. <laughs> Right? Jesus started his ministry by fasting and praying for 40 days. He would often leave these huge crowds, like I was saying, to find solitude to pray. He would often wake up early in the morning to find time alone to pray. He would sometimes not sleep and instead just pray all the way through the night. And Jesus would pray to God, kind of intermingled with conversations and time with people. Prayer wasn't just a regular part of Jesus' life. Prayer was Jesus' life. And while the disciples knew how to pray, they didn't know how to pray like Jesus. And so a bunch of grown Jewish men, they come to Jesus, men who've been following and trying to pray to God their whole lives, and maybe even sheepishly, they just ask Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? And I don't know about you, but sometimes for Christians, uh, prayer is like the thing that we're supposed to know how to do, right? It's like, you talk to God, right? You talk to him. That's what prayer is. 
And there's this thing in us where we think, like, I'm supposed to know how to do this. And then sometimes we feel sheepish with this recognition that, like, most of us actually are not good at this, and we don't know how to do it very well. But what's so interesting about this passage and with the disciples in Luke 11 is, like, this gives me comfort, okay? Because they'd watch Jesus feed the 5,000, right? Like, a couple fish, a few loaves of bread, and he's like, bloop, like, I'm going to make uh, enough to, like, literally overflow into baskets from this massive crowd of people. They watched him walk on water, They watched him take a bunch of water and turn it into wine. That's pretty cool. They watched him heal people. And the one thing they asked Jesus to teach them to do was pray. Isn't that amazing? Like, don't you think if you saw Jesus turn water into wine, you'd be like, Jesus, teach me how to do that, and I will rule all of UW Madison, right? It's like, you'd think that that would be like what you'd want, and instead they're like, we've seen everything you do, Jesus, and the most defining thing about you, the thing that's left the biggest mark on us, like the thing that we want about your life more than anything is the way you pray. It's kind of stunning. Maybe it's not to you, but it is to me. J.C. Ryle, he is an old pastor. He's not here anymore. He's, he's dead. But listen to this quote. This is what he says. He says, What is the reason that some believers are so much brighter and holier than others? Right? And this is true, right? We know this to be true, right? We can, we can say simultaneously that, like, Jesus gives grace to people, and we are all saved the same way by the blood of Jesus, and there are some Christians who, like, that dude's holier than I am, and you know it, right? We see it. It's, like, visible, right? He's saying, why is it that some believers are so much brighter and holier than others? He says, I believe the difference in 19 cases out of 20 arises from different habit, habits about private prayer. And it's interesting, I've been trying to follow Jesus for over a decade now, and, and I, I'm not just like trying to follow Jesus, but I'm, I'm trying to follow him, but learn from other people who've been trying to follow him too, and, and to teach me what does it look like for them to follow Jesus as well. And of all the great men and women of faith I've read over the years, all of them would come to the exact same conclusion. They would say that prayer, and specifically your private prayer life, is the single greatest window into your true spiritual health. And if I'm being honest with you, that is hard for me to hear (laughs) because prayer is hard. Like, I think praying is way harder than reading the Bible. Prayer is sometimes really hard. You know, Tim Keller, he has a whole book on prayer, and this is what he says at the very beginning. He says, I can think of nothing great that is also easy. Prayer then must be one of the hardest things in the world. (laughs) And I think the reason that prayer is so hard as I've been trying to figure this out in my own self. Like, why do I struggle to pray? Why do I sometimes like, get there and I just, I, it feels like when I'm talking, it feels fake. Like, why is this hard for me to do? I think that one of the reasons prayer is so hard is because prayer exposes us in a way that almost nothing else in the world does. You know, some of the most delight and wonder and awe and like just moments of like captivating joy in my life, they have been moments I've experienced on my knees in prayer but also some of the most cold, alone, painful, and insecure times that I have ever experienced have also been on my knees. 
And I think that prayer is so difficult for many of us is because what prayer does is it exposes our like spiritual poverty like nothing else can. Right, and I don't know if you feel that way, but like sometimes even like in the Christian life, like you, you know, you're, you're like blitzing through your classes and you're studying and you're like binging the Netflix show here or there, but then you like, you're reading your Bible and you're going to Salt Company and you're going to Connection Group and you're just like, go, 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 go. And I don't know if you have this, but sometimes when you just slow down and you actually stop for just a significant amount of time, and you get quiet before the Lord, there starts to be this like void (laughs) that you start to feel inside of yourself. That like you've been drowning it out by just distracting yourself through like the fast pace of your life, but like you get quiet and you get before the Lord and you just like sit in that stillness and you start to like feel this gaping hole start to reveal itself in you. John Owen, he is a Puritan pastor, also not here anymore, but he says it this way. He says, you can know much of the Bible and you can do great things for the poor, but who you are on your knees before God, that is who you are and nothing more. You see, prayer reveals our true spiritual condition in a way that nothing else can. And for many of us, honestly, our lack of prayer or our struggle in prayer, it leads to a lot of guilt and shame. To admit that our prayer life isn't as fulfilling as it should seem to be seems like, like, a, like a scathing blow to our spirituality as, as prayer seems to be like the most central and simple aspect of Christianity. To admit that we're bad at it can be kind of shameful. I don't know, I feel that way. I feel that stuff. I remember actually a few years ago, I was like looking at my spiritual life, just kind of like laying it all out. I was like, who am I spiritually? What is the state of my life? And I'd been in ministry for really a number of years at this point. I've been doing ministry for like seven, eight years. And I could give you a lot of great answers to really hard questions in the Bible. And honestly, if you looked at my life, you'd be like, this guy's got some stuff kind of put together in certain areas. But at the center of my life with God was this like glaring issue that I really struggled to pray. It was hard for me. And things that are hard, we tend to not do very often. And that was my prayer life. There's some moments that I felt like genuinely like connected to God, but those are honestly like few and far between. A lot of times it was just difficult, confusing. I felt like really distracted like every time and I felt like really mad at myself that I couldn't focus and almost getting always like swallowed up by something that felt more important. I'd pray for a little bit and I just was like, oh, this is really hard. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And like sometimes it was good, but most of the times it wasn't. I'd just like move on to what was next. There were times I would just sit there and sometimes I like, couldn't even say anything. I just like, like my sin felt so heavy. I didn't like know how to deal with it with the Lord. So it felt like I couldn't talk to him. Sometimes I felt there and like every sentence I said felt like fake and authentic. I don't know if you've ever been there. But this like really weighed me down and it was hard for me. And so one of the things that I did was I just tried to start praying through the Lord's prayer. And I was like, Jesus, if your disciples came to you and they said teach us how to pray and this is what you gave them maybe this will help me and this series it it sort of comes out of some of the things I've learned 
as I've tried to learn how to pray with Jesus. And I will just say this from the beginning, like I am still not great at this. Like I even was praying with Theo before this. I was like, man, I wish someone was up here besides me teaching you how to do this. I still struggle to pray, but I am growing. And I'm learning from Jesus how to be a man of prayer. And so I want to help you see some of the things that I've learned as I've studied this passage and tried to pray it. So Matthew 6, 7, okay? This is the Lord's Prayer. And in Matthew 6, 7, it kind of starts like this. Before he gets into like this part we know, this is kind of where he starts. He says this, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. I love this. He's like, people do that. He says, do not be like them, (laughs) for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. So that's the Lord's prayer, okay? Now each week what we're going to do is we're going to take kind of section by section and just teach through it and just figure out what are you meaning to teach us about prayer through this section, through this section. And so tonight's just the kind of the, the beginning few verses here. And then the first thing Jesus teaches us about prayer is this. Prayer, and it's like most basic thing, prayer is response. That's what prayer is. Meaning that we aren't the initiators of this thing, right? God is the initiator. Everything about this prayer is interesting because it's actually all a response to who God has revealed himself to be in Scripture. And this is part of the reason that the prayers of the Gentiles are empty, right? It's saying their prayer isn't a response to how God has revealed himself to them. Instead, they're like multiplying words, like creating mantras, right? Like some people actually like put like prayer wheels and you like literally come and you try to spin them as much as you possibly can. This idea that effort and hard work might get the gods to hear what you're saying. You're trying to speak in such a way that God in heaven might actually hear you, pay attention to you, and give you what you're asking for. In other words, there's nothing previous about these people's prayer. They are the ones trying to make the introduction. They're the ones trying to start the conversation. And Jesus says, I because heaven has already reached down to us in the person of Jesus Christ. We're not trying to initiate the conversation. Jesus Christ has initiated the conversation. And so that means that prayer for Christians isn't trying to reach up into the heavens, but prayer is about us responding to the heavens reaching down to us. And Jesus is saying the reason that these people over here Every other group of people who are trying to pray, multiplying words, mantras, spinning things, getting as much of it as loud as they can, as often as they can, as many words, the reason they're doing that is because they don't know God. They don't know him. And they're trying to meet him. They're trying to find him. And they're kind of, they're, like Jesus' words are basically saying, like they're like babbling on and on into the cosmos, hoping that something might answer. But when Jesus teaches us to pray, he says, you don't pray like that. Don't do that because God is your father. He's your dad. And he already knows what you need before you even ask him for it. There's this common idea of prayer. Another common idea of prayer is this, is that in prayer, basically what we're doing 
is we are like respecting God. We are like honoring him. We're giving him our time and our allegiance, right? I mean, like, and if you pray at all, you feel that way, right? You're like, I, am, I have so much studying to do and I'm going to not do that to spend time praying. And that's like a sacrifice for me, right? And so there's this thing where we're saying, I am showing you reverence and giving you my time. And we think that if we do a good enough job with this, and if our life is generally good enough, he will answer our prayers and give him what we ask for. And how happy God is with us. Right? Like if we do a good enough job and if we come to him with like holy, pure enough lives, how good of a job we do with this will determine if he answers our prayer yes or no. Right? A lot of us feel this way. But Jesus is saying, listen, that's not what prayer is. He says, for the Christian, prayer isn't about getting on God's good side because he is already your father. He's your dad. You can't get on his good side because he is your father. And it's also not about informing him of what we want or need because he already knows. It's kind of a weird thing, right? It's like, okay, then what is the point of prayer? Well, this means that prayer isn't as much about us doing something in God but it means that prayer is about us being with him. That's the point. It's about us being with him, and it's not necessarily about us being with him so that we can do something in him, but it's actually us being with him so that he can do something in us. The primary goal of prayer isn't to change the heart of God towards us or our circumstances. The primary point of prayer, the goal of prayer, is actually to change us. And this is how Jesus teaches us to pray. Right? He doesn't give us the right words to say. He doesn't teach us the secret to get to God's heart. He just gives us a prayer that as we pray it, it actually shapes us into God's children as Jesus has bought and bled for us to be. And it's interesting, this prayer, I don't know if, I don't know if you guys feel this way, but when I, um, I grew up in the church, okay? Which means I grew up praying this prayer. And I began to think that people who are like 101 Christians, like you're new, you're new to the faith or you don't take this very seriously, those are the people that pray the Lord's Prayer. And they pray it like, Our Father who is in heaven, holy be thy name. Like you just kind of like, you, you just send it out and it means nothing. And I used to think that that was like 101 Christianity and real Christians just like free form, like, I got this. <laughs> like, I got this prayer and I'm going to like kill it. And I'm going to pray so well that everyone in my small group is going to think I'm like super spiritual and awesome, right? I used to think that, that like the prayers that like are these, that it's just, you actually say those words, that that's like JV, right? But listen to what he says. Matthew 6 says, he says, pray like this, our Father in heaven, holy be your name. Luke 11 actually says, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. It seems that Jesus is saying that we actually can learn how to pray by praying the actual words of the Lord's prayer. I think that's what he's saying. Now here's a question, okay? Jesus' disciples asked him how to teach them how to pray. Why did Jesus give them a short, simple prayer? 
It's a very interesting question, right? Because if you're in their shoes, they're like, no, Jesus, like, we're asking you to teach us how to pray, not just give us another prayer, right? Like, we have prayers. We've got the whole Old Testament. It's filled with prayers. And we, we know those. We say them all the time. The difference is that we don't feel them like you do. We, we don't love God like you do. We're, we're not just saying to give us another prayer. We actually need you to teach us how to pray. And what's amazing is I think as I've been like thinking and meditating on and praying the Lord's Prayer, I think I've started to understand what Jesus is doing. I think what Jesus did here is he gave us a prayer that as we pray it, it shapes us into praying people. Like it's a prayer that like as we pray the prayer, it teaches us how to pray. The prayer is like a kind of liturgy. It's like as we say its words and repeat its phrases and as we like not just like say it kind of you know, like off the cuff, we just memorize it and say it. Like the way you study for tests, right? You're like, I have this just enough in here so I can like muscle memory regurgitate it and then a year from now I will know none of it, right? It's like we know how to do that with these words, but it's like as we meditate on his meaning and we think about its implications as we actually pray it, I think that Jesus intends to like form us into people who just know how to pray. And the reason is because, listen, this prayer is amazing. (laughs) It is amazing. This prayer contains every single kind of prayer that exists in the entire rest of the Bible. It's like this microcosm of every single thing that God has revealed about himself, right? He is Father. He is heaven. He is the King who will set the world right. He is, it's his will is what we need to see happen in our lives. He is provider. He is our Savior. He is our shepherd. And when we pray the Lord's Prayer, it's like he is driving the whole of the Bible and all of Scripture into our hearts and our minds. The reason I think the Lord's Prayer teaches us how to pray is because it like sets right all our affections. Like it orders all our love. Like it literally, if you notice it, like it won't let you pray certain things until you pray other things, right? It's intentional. And as we pray it, we're changed and shaped into the children he's called us to be. And this is how it starts. He just says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven. The very first thing that Jesus wants to do is remind you and shape you to know the one you're praying to. And he's saying, here's what you have to know. Like as you kind of like, you sit down and you kind of like try to connect out into that, the cosmos, like you're trying to like reach that thing that's, that's unseen and you feel with everything in you and you're like, I know there's something out there and you, you're trying to like reach for it, like that, that God that just is out there and exists but feels really far away. He's like, the thing you have to understand, the very first words that should come out of your mouth to shape the way you think about this whole enterprise is that the one who sits on the throne He is your Father. He is our Father. J.I. Packer, he says it like this. He says, you sum up the whole of New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's Holy Father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out what he makes of being thought of as God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that like prompts and controls 
his worship and his prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. And this is what he says, listen, for everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Listen to how he ends this. He says, Father is the Christian name for God. That's the name we've been given by Jesus Christ for God. Almost three years ago, um, my life changed dramatically, okay? <laughs> like, it changed dramatically. I became a dad, all right? And I want to tell you about it. I want to tell you, like, just what that experience was like in my life when I first became a father, because it was, like, stunning how different, like, my life felt. Like, I remember standing there, like, I'm not going to share the whole story with you because it's really long, but anyway, it was a wild experience. And all of a sudden, I'm standing there, and I'm, like, holding my son, Silas, and something happened in that moment. Like, I remember trying to describe this to people. People ask, like, what's it like being a dad? And I'm like, well, it's really interesting because in that moment, as you hold this small boy in your arms, everyone says this, but it's true. You love it, him, her. You love this baby more than you've loved everything or anything in your entire life. Just immediately. And like, it's like what happens is literally like in that moment, your heart just literally like unfolds and grows and you have a capacity to love life more than you've ever loved it before. And I remember sitting in the hospital room and like just holding my son Silas and being like, I love my son. And I would take him back home and as he was like learning how to sleep, like we didn't really know how to like sleep train, which like, by the way, it's a thing. Learn how to do it before it's too late. But like, we didn't really know that. And so we're just like carrying him around and like trying to get him to go to sleep. And the only way he would fall asleep for the first like many months of his life is if I would just like rock him to sleep in my arms. And I'd just walk around his room like this for like an hour, sometimes two hours. And sometimes he'd wake up in the middle of the night and I would just do this for like two to three hours in the middle of the night. I'd just walk him around and I'd just talk to him. And I didn't really know what to do, and after a while, you kind of run out of words to say, right? Because, like, they don't really talk back at that age. And, you know, you're just like, all right, I've, I am done talking. And I didn't really know what to do, and so the first night, um, I just started praying the Lord's Prayer over him. And so I just would, I'd pray that. I'd just say, our Father who is in heaven. And it was such a cool thing, right? Because it was like, our Father, like, like, like Silas. God's our dad. Not just mine, he's ours. And I was praying the Lord's Prayer over him to put him to sleep each night. And it was like in that moment as I was like praying those words, I began to like have this thing start to happen where I was like, oh my gosh, like the way I love Silas is really imperfect. God loves me more than that. And I was like feeling this love for my son that was like this unbelievable love that I had never really experienced in my life before. 
And that was like when I, when I first, you know, that was like just like starting to happen in my life. But what's so interesting is like this love for Silas has grown. Like my heart has expanded over time for this little dude. And like lately, like the thing is happening again where he can't sleep at night. We sleep train this dude. He slept like 12 hours a night for like two and a half years. And then all of a sudden, he's not sleeping again at all. And it is hilarious and not awesome at all. But... He's not sleeping. And so the thing that's been happening lately, and, and Will, Will and Kaylin, they, they watch Silas on Wednesday night, and so they, they know about this. But you put Silas down, he'll go to sleep, and he'll be, he'll be like, you know, like about, to, about to get there, and then like as you're leaving, he will be like, uh, hey, crack, crack the door, crack the door open, like leave the door open. And this was like a new thing the first time it happened. He was like, leave the door open. I was like, Silas, why? We always, we've closed the door for two and a half years. You turn the lights off, it's great. And he just said, I'm scared. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm scared. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, buddy, you've never been scared before, you know? And so like I walk in and I'm like, oh, this is, I'm like having this like father-son moment with him. I'm like, buddy. And like I literally like get down like next to his crib. I'm like, buddy, are you scared? And he's like, yeah, I'm pretty scared. And I was like, Silas, what are you, what are you scared of? And in like a really serious tone, he just says, bears. <laughs> I was like, are you afraid of bears? He's like, yeah, bears. <laughs> and so like, I'm like having this super serious, I'm trying not to laugh because it's like so cute and like so funny. I'm just like, bro, like the only bear you know about is the one that like used to be mean and then became a doctor and fixed all the furry friends in the forest. Like that's the only, in the book we read, that's the only bear you know about. I don't know like where this is coming from. Will's probably watching Animal Planet with him or something, like watching bears tear apart like salmon or something. So anyway, but like he's, he's so scared of bears now. And so every night, like this is the same thing. We, we go in and as we're leaving, he's like, open the door big, open the door big, big, big. And so now we have to like open the door all the way, like turn the lights on. So our electricity bill is just like through the night going through the roof, right? But, but I love this kid. Like, I love him like crazy. And even when he does stuff that's like weird and you're like, I, okay, I don't understand this about you, but like, I love him so much. And it's so interesting when he, when he first was born, like in those first few months of life, as I was like holding him and I was like experiencing this like new kind of love for him. I remember like there were moments where like I was like physically in pain, like how much I could feel my love for this kid. Like, I was like, it, I love you so much, it hurts. And that sounds like cliche, but like, I really did feel that. I love him so much. And I have a daughter now, Indy, she's three months old, and like, I feel that again with her, same thing. Maybe even more, because she's like a little girl and she's way cuter than Silas ever was. <laughs> but here's the thing, I, I love my kids so much, and yet... I'm selfish, I'm proud, I'm quick to get angry, I'm self-centered. I, I have so much wrong with me in my heart as a father. And I just remember like feeling in a way I couldn't feel before up until that point in my life. Like if this is how much I love my son, if this is how much I love my daughter, then how much more does my father in heaven love me?
And if that's how I love my kids, how much more does your Father in Heaven love you? Because He's not loving you with this imperfect, flawed heart that I have. He is loving you with His massive, full, merciful heart of love. This is your Father in Heaven. And I know that there's some people in the room that struggle with these verses. Like, I know that. I know that, like, when I talk with people about, like, God as Father, actually, there's a lot of people that, like, immediately there's this, like, oh, like, something, like, hits you from your past. It, like, stabs you, where, like, that word is, like, that doesn't bring up good images for me. It brings up bad images for me. And I know that a lot of us didn't grow up with fathers that held us in safety and spoke words of life over us. I know that a lot of us in the room, a lot of your story, like, you grow up with like the smell of cigarettes and alcohol like kind of burned into your memory from a young age. You grew up where words and anger, they actually cut deep wounds that like really haven't totally healed. Maybe haven't healed at all. I know that a lot of us grew up where we were judged against our siblings and it was like no matter what we did, we always fell short in the eyes of our dad and We grew up where our fathers care more about what was on the television screen than what was in our hearts. Maybe you grew up without a dad at all. You're like, hey, I didn't even have a bad experience. I had no experience. And so for some of us, when we hear that God is Father, we we think that means that He's like our Father. Like, He's not there. And I'm trying to reach Him can't find him or you think he's like your father like he's always like mildly disappointed like you're you're just you're never really enough for him and like you know it you feel it when he walks in the room when he looks at you listen god is not like that he's not like that It doesn't say, pray to God, he's like your earthly father. No, it actually, no, he, the point of it is he isn't like your earthly father. God is your father in heaven. He's not trying to do this analogy thing where he's like, you know, God's heart is kind of like the heart of a dad. He's actually saying, no, in Christ, God is your father. That's now who you are and who he is in relation to you. And he's not like your earthly father. He's your father in heaven. And as we read the story of the Bible and we have this picture of like, this is who God is. Like, this is the kind of dad we have. He isn't abusive and angry, but actually he's gentle That this is the God who's slow to anger and who's abounding in steadfast love. He doesn't throw things across the room when something disappoints him. He actually protects us from the ones who would seek to do us harm. And he doesn't actually cut us with his words, but he, he heals you with the words of life that he's always speaking over you. And he isn't distracted from you. He isn't far from you. But he's actually spent your whole life intently focused on you. You see, when you receive Jesus, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ on the cross, 
to take your sins and give you forgiveness, to trade places with you. When you do that, God becomes your dad. The one who is filled with love and mercy, he becomes your father. The one who holds the stars and the cosmos in the palm of his hand, he becomes the one who actually most delights to hold your hand, to hear your voice, to look at you. Do you know God as Father? I don't mean do you know that God's like a dad. I'm saying do you know God as your dad, as your Father? Another way you could ask that question is just do you know Jesus? Because if you know Jesus Christ, if you put your faith in him, what he was doing on the cross, the reason he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's like the one time God, Jesus calls God, God, not dad. And he cries that out on the cross because he's like, literally what I'm doing is trading places with you so that I can actually give you God as father. I can actually give you my dad. You can be like his one and only son with whom he is well pleased. I want to give you that relationship with God. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, literally what happens is you get his life. You, you get his dad. You get his destiny. He trades places with you. He takes your punishment. He gives you everything that is his. He joins himself to you so that when God looks at you, he doesn't just look at you as like this mildly disappointed father who's like, yes, you're in my family, but you're kind of a disappointment. He actually looks at you and he sees to the very depth of who you are. He sees through you to the very core of who you are. And because the blood of Jesus has been spilled on your behalf, he sees the real you and he's actually proud totally and completely proud of you. He knows the numbers of hairs on your head. Isn't that cool? I think the reason the Bible tells us that is because it would take a really long time to count them, and I think God cares enough about you to know that level of detail about your life. Do you know God is your father? One of the things that Jesus wants you to do is not just be someone who prays to try to get God's approval of you and not just try to pray as like to check this box, but he's like inviting you. He's like, listen, like if you're gonna pray at all, like I don't wanna put this on you like a shackle. I don't want you to feel like you have to do this. I just want you to know. God's your dad. When we pray this prayer, it shapes us to be people who don't view our problems and our wants as primary, but it actually begins to shape us into people who see the needs of others as like our problems as well. Like literally when you pray, when you pray that does multiple things. It's like our father, our father, right? This is like our family. These are our sins. Give us our bread. And it shapes us to be people who walk into the world not as orphans, but as brothers and sisters. It shapes us to be people who like, we, we like pray this prayer in the morning and then you stand up and you walk into school. You walk into school as someone who is adopted. You walk in as someone who has a family, who has a home. You walk in as someone who loves you. And when you pray this prayer, 
when this begins to shape you, you begin to realize that when you pray, you are not banging on the door of heaven, but you are actually staring into the eyes of your Father in heaven who is hanging on every single word you say because you are his and he delights to hear the sound of your voice. So let's pray to him. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who've sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus, would you help us become men and women of prayer? And God, in order to pray to you, we have to know you. You have to first speak to us. And so God, for the people in the room who do not know you, Lord, would you find them tonight? Would you talk to them tonight? Would you introduce them to your son, Jesus, so that they might know you as their father in heaven? And God, for those of us in the room that that is our story, oh Lord, would you help us pray? Would you draw us to our knees to meet with you and spend time with you? God, don't let it be a burden, let it be a joy. God, shape us into praying people and would you use this prayer to do it? And Lord, would you help us worship you as your children tonight? In your name, amen.